good to see you all today. If you're a guest, my name's David, and I'm the pastor of the church. We're glad you're here. And you're welcome to anything we have going on in a couple of weeks. It's Easter. We'd love to have you for Easter. This service will be absolutely packed at Easter. If you're late, don't even bother, man. I'm just telling you. Just go ahead and save it on down for 11 o'clock or 12.15 because it's a crowded service. So we want you to come. We want you to be here. We really do. Uh, today's kind of a, a, a kind of a, a marks a moment or a point, I guess. We're in this thing called impact. If you've been around a while, you've probably heard of impact. If not, go online. You can read about it on our website. It's our capital campaign as we get ready for phase two, which hopefully will start real soon or, or has already started. We hopefully will build pretty soon. And uh, it is our capital campaign, and today marks the halfway point. It's a 36-month-long campaign. This is 18 months into it. We've had some new commitments. So let me just tell you where we're at as of now. We've had, so far, committed almost $1.3 million, and we've raised almost $950,000. That's a huge hunk of it already, and so we're thankful for that. So that's just kind of where we are as of today. We're in this series that started the very first of... March, going through Easter Sunday, and that series is entitled Believe. And uh, it comes from the fact that in John chapter 20, verse 31, uh, John writes that I've written these things to you, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. You might have life in his name, if you will, but believe. And we saw, uh, the start of the series, we saw empty that there was a tomb that held the body of Jesus, and then it didn't. It was empty. Uh, then we came to a message two weeks ago um, entitled, Alive, that people who had seen Jesus dead saw him alive because he appeared to them. He was resurrected. Last week, we saw called, that uh, when Jesus appeared to people, he appeared for a purpose. He called them. Um, and today, we come kind of for two weeks, we're going to be dealing with this guy, this guy known as Thomas. He's, we call him Doubting Thomas. And Doubting Thomas gets a raw deal on that name, but he's one of the important characters, one of the important people of uh, of the New Testament, and we'll see next week, he made one of the great statements in the New Testament, my Lord and my God, and that statement in his doubting led to uh, John writing the purpose of his book. He, he says, I wrote this to you so you might believe after he deals with the unbelief of Thomas. And so today we come to a message entitled, Doubted, taking from John 20, verse 24 through verse 25. And what I want you to see from this message today is that there may be times when you have doubts about Jesus, even if you are his follower. There may be times when you have doubts about Jesus or your relationship to Jesus, even when you are his follower. And so uh, we're kind of going to kick the message off today, and I'll just share this with you as we do. That for about a week, all the disciples believed he was alive because they saw him alive. All but one. All the disciples of Jesus believed he was alive. Because all of them got to see him alive. All but one. And that one is called Thomas, Doubting Thomas. That was his nickname. I don't know who gave it to him. You know, you don't get to give yourself a nickname. He didn't give it to himself. You don't get to give yourself a nickname. If you try to give yourself a nickname, you know, where I come from, you're like, oh, wow, loser, man, you can't do that. Our staff, I've given our staff all sorts of nicknames. Our worship pastor, Brian, has a nickname. And I can call him this. You probably aren't in a position to call him this. I can. Uh, it comes from an event that happened a few years back around Christmas. Brian wanted to have some lasers for the special thing that he did. And uh, the lasers came from China, and you could not legally get the, the lasers from China to America. Before I go on the rest of this story, who in, the, in here works for the FBI? I need to know this a little bit ahead of time. Please do not remember this story at all. So Brian orders the lasers, have them sent to Juarez. And then Brian 
and Joe Andrews in the middle of the night. <laughs> I'm embellishing this part a little bit. But in the middle of the night, sneak in past the federales in Torres, grab the lasers and smuggle them back into America where they did not work. <laughs> there you go. Hey, Baba, come back. We're not through. And for this, he is called Laser Boy. Now, you can't call him that. I can call him Laser Boy. You can't call him Laser Boy. But he's, he's Laser Boy. It's a nickname. Nickname Stick. He didn't name himself that. Well, that's a beautiful timing. I wish I had. You must do this at the 11 o'clock also. I mean, that's a stock. That's what I call him. I say, hey, Laser Boy, what do you got? And so we'll do that from time. You know, again, Thomas didn't give him the name Doubting Thomas. And, and really, it's really unfair because he's this great man of faith. I mean, he's one of the disciples. I mean, one of the 12 guys. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, all they really ever say about Thomas was that he's one of the 12, but James gives us more info. And, and, and in the 11th chapter, I mean, John gives us more info. In John chapter 11, it's the whole Lazarus story. You know, Lazarus is dead. Um, you know, this is a few months before the resurrection for the cross. And Lazarus is in Bethany right outside Jerusalem. Jesus and the guys are up in Galilee. And Jesus says, we're going down to Lazarus. And some of the disciples say, they're trying to kill you. In Jerusalem, if you go down to Bethany, they're, they're going to take you, they're going to kill you. And Thomas says, well, hey, if he goes, let's just go and die with him. I mean, that's a pretty loyal guy, right? Hey, look, if, if Jesus is going, we'll all go. If they kill him, they can kill us all. We're going with him. In the 14th chapter, hours before the cross, he's got the, the guys in the room. Uh, Judas is going on. He's betraying Jesus. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, it's a mini room mansion. If it were not so, I would tell you, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be as well, and I'll come, and I'll receive you to myself, and you know where I'm going, and you know the way. And they're all looking at each other, what? And Thomas says, uh, Jesus, we don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. And Jesus says, well, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But Thomas was just honest. And that's who Thomas is. Thomas just, he just speaks his mind, basically. He's kind of a logical guy. He's a guy that follows the steps. And he's a guy that just sees it as he sees it and tells it like he thinks it is. That's just Thomas. And we give him a hard time because, you know, Thomas, everybody else believed that you didn't believe. But understand this. You need to recognize this. No major New Testament figure believed Jesus was resurrected until they saw him alive except for John. We saw that, you know, the very first sermon, John saw the empty tomb. And when he saw the burial clothes laid out there, once he saw the burial clothes, he believed. Everybody else had to see him alive, man. That's all Thomas wanted. We come to verse 24. Now, Thomas called Didymus, which means twin. One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He was one of the 12. Now, I mean, they still called him the 12, even though Judas had gone. That's what they were called. That was their name. John focuses on these guys. We saw uh, last week that Luke in that uh, first Sunday, uh, in the Sunday of Easter, when everybody saw Jesus, there were other people there. But John just kind of focuses on the 12. And he said, Thomas wasn't with them. Now, we don't know where Thomas went. There's lots of speculation. But, but I mean, it can make sense. I mean, I can get it. Thomas, just what we know about him, his personality, working through things. I mean, this was a guy who gave his life to follow Christ. All of the guys believed that Jesus as the Messiah was going to come in to Jerusalem, defeat the Romans, kick them out, establish the eternal kingdom, and they would rule forever. They'd be part of them. And if he had to die for that, he'd die for that. But he was on Jesus' side. He was totally with Jesus. And now Jesus was dead, man. He's dead. And I'm sure it's a struggle. And, and, you know, he didn't want to be with anybody. He was by himself. And so he wasn't there when Jesus came to show himself to everybody else. He just wasn't. 
Verse 25, though, says this. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. I mean, they went and got Thomas. He was one of the guys. Some of them were probably close to him. Maybe, maybe Andrew was close. Maybe Matthew was close. But they came to him. And they said, we have seen the Lord. They told him. The word told means over and over. They kept telling him, we've seen him, man. We saw him. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I can put my finger where the nails were, and I can put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I just won't. Now that phrase, unless, speaks of a condition. He speaks of what might happen. He says, if I might see, I might put my might place. If I can do all of what you did, just what you guys did, I want what you have. You didn't believe, except for John. You didn't believe until that happened. Unless I see that, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe. In fact, he says, I will not believe is a double negative. It's emphatic. In the Greek, number negatives are good. In English, you're not supposed to use them. I mean, I use double negatives all the time. Being from where I'm from, I say, ain't no way, baby. Ain't no way going to do that. Ain't no way that's going to happen. And I remember... You know, when I, I remember my senior year in high school. I seen my senior year, I have honors English. Yes, I did. I just want to slip that in there in case you know I had honors English. And I'm sitting in Mrs. Fulton's room. Mrs. Fulton, she's like four foot 11, weighed 90 pounds. She loved me. I was like, I was like her favorite. But, you know, and, but I would do mean things to her occasionally. And uh, some of my friends, they still talk about some of the things I did. I don't remember all the things they said I did. But I do remember taking her erasers back in the day when you had chalkboard and putting up high so she couldn't reach them. And she'd come to class and be, you know, writing away, wanted to reach down, and she couldn't find it, and she'd look up, and she always turned just to look at me. Like out of 32 students, I was the only one who was going to put the eraser on top of the chalkboard. Because I was, you know, that's why. And so I go get the eraser, and I give it to her, and then I walk away, and one time she threw it at me and hit me in the back of the head with it, which is assault. But she was a foot shorter and 130 pounds lighter than me, so it really didn't make much difference back then. But she used to always get on my case because when I would write papers, I'd forget and I'd use double negatives. She said double negatives are bad. And then I went to seminary and I took Greek. And double negatives are good. (laughs) And I felt vindicated. So for all you English teachers, ha! John said, ain't no way, man. Ain't no way. I'm never going to believe. I get that. I can get John. He was, he was a bit of a skeptic in all of that. He's like a lot of people today. It's not that they won't believe, that they want evidence. They want to see some things. In fact, this is what John Thomas did. Thomas sought to control the conditions of his belief. That's what Thomas sought to do. Thomas put the conditions on what he would do and how he would believe. And that's pretty common. People do that today. And the truth of the matter is, I get that. I understand that. I have lots of people who want to try to get me to believe things that I don't believe. Some skepticism can be a good thing. If someone came up to me and said, here, I want you to take this. I want you to drink this. It'll clean out your system. And I say, what is it? And they say, it's Windex. I'm not going to drink it. I don't, I'm going to say, I don't believe you, man. That'll kill me. Or if someone comes up to me and says, you know, in another life, I was a king or I was a warrior, I was whatever. I'm going to say, you didn't live another life. I'm going to doubt that. And it happens with faith things too. 
You know, I remember a few years back, there was this big ruckus of, of revitalizing and revising a, a theory about Jesus from a tomb that was found in Jerusalem a while back. And it had, the tomb had the names of Yeshua, which can be named Jesus or Miriam, which was Mary. And people said they found the tomb of Jesus and Mary with the bones. And like, no, they didn't. Nobody with half a brain believed that. Or when, when, when people tell me, they come knock on my door and say, hey, did you know that Jesus returned to the earth in 1914? I'm like, no, he didn't. I doubt it. Or if you tell me, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I believe there's other ways to get to God besides Christ, I'm going to say, I don't think you're a follower of Jesus. I'm concerned about you. I doubt it. And with Easter coming, there's going to be people who call themselves Christians and people who preach sermons who are going to be preaching and teaching and believing that the resurrection was symbolic and it just has spiritual emphasis. And I'm going to say, I doubt you're a follower of Jesus. And it's normal. And here's what we do. We ask people who aren't followers of Christ to take their life and completely and totally trust it to Jesus. And sometimes they have doubts, and I get that, I understand that. Some of you are that way. You're, you're not a follower of Christ right now. We're asking you every week to give your life to Jesus. And you say, I just have some doubts, man. Let me tell you this. Believing is fundamental to our salvation. However, some skepticism makes sense. It makes sense. People are going to be skeptical. But here's the thing about Thomas. <laughs> Thomas wasn't an unbeliever. He was a believer. He followed Jesus. He gave his life to Jesus. He trusted Jesus. He believed in the resurrection because he saw Lazarus raised from the dead. He just didn't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. He wasn't there yet. See, Thomas was a follower of Jesus who was at a crisis moment of his faith. And that happens to believers all the time. Some of you have been through those crisis moments and you lived with doubt. Some of you struggle with doubt right this minute. I know you do. Because there's always a lot. And maybe, maybe some event brought about the doubt of your faith. Maybe the death of someone you love caused that. And you're like, Jesus, how could you let that happen? Or maybe illness that you're going through and you're suffering. Or someone you really care about or a child is suffering. You're like, Jesus... Why is this happening? Maybe it's a marriage that falls apart. <laughs> Probably half the adults in our congregations today will have gone through divorce or will at some point. And that's a crisis, man. I mean, you, 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 you married another Christian, you gave everything to the Lord, and now that fell apart, and you're at a real tough place. And you can doubt so many things. Sometimes you doubt your salvation. Or when you were saved, when Debbie and I first got married, she got saved when she was like six. And we got married, she's 21, and she just said, you know, I, I know I'm a follower of Christ, but I struggle with my salvation. I don't know when it happened. And we, right the first month or so of our marriage, we dealt with that. So, I mean, that just happens. Some of, you, some of you doubt that God really can forgive you. You don't think God can forgive you what you've just done not too long ago. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I did this. How can God forgive me? How can God love me? How can God ever use you the way you are? And you struggle with those doubts. Sometimes, sometimes you struggle with Jesus. Jesus, how can you truly be the only way to God? I have people I love who don't trust you. Are you really 
going to let them go to hell because they don't believe, even though they're really, really good. I mean, you don't have kids and you find out you're 25 years of age that you can't have children. Been there. And you have your doubts. Will I ever have a kid? Or you're, you're single, or you're single again, or you're single again and again. And you wonder, God, why isn't there someone just for me? Why can't there be someone for me? And you go through life with doubt. And you think it's not supposed to be that way because I'm a Christian. But I want you to understand something. In our journey of faith, sometimes we who believe, we have doubts. Some of you are there today. I think sometimes as I look through church history and Christian history about the people who influenced Christian faith and probably no one, after the first century, after the apostles were all gone, no one had more influence over the Christian faith than Martin Luther. He was phenomenal. Back at the end of the last millennium in 1999, the Arts and Entertainment Network did this series about the 100 most influential people of the last thousand years. Number one was Johannes Gutenberg, the printing press, because it changed communication. Two was Isaac Newton, both with believers. Four was actually Charles Darwin. Number three was Martin Luther. Because Martin Luther changed Christianity. The history, not the faith, the history of Christianity. And in doing so, he actually changed the history and the projection, trajectory of Western civilization, he changed the world. Martin Luther, at the end of the 15th century, going into the 16th century, was a Catholic monk, and he struggled with his faith. Oh, he struggled. He just couldn't believe he was saved. He went to all his superiors. He went to Rome. He did everything he was supposed to do, and he struggled for years with his faith. And he was assigned to Wittenberg, Germany, to the university there. And he was teaching. And one time he was preparing to teach the book of Romans. He had read Romans who knows how many times. I've read it dozens and dozens of times. Luther probably ten times more than I've ever it, read it. And he came this time, though, to Romans 117. And it says the just or the righteous person will live by faith. The one who is right with God believes and he read it and he said, it's as if I've been born again. And he understood what it meant to be saved. And he went shortly after that and wrote down 95 statements, took those statements. And he put it on the door of the church at Wittenberg on October 31st of 1517. And that day began the Reformation that changed the world. It happened because a man struggled with his faith. He battled and he battled and he battled battled with faith because the struggle of faith for a believer is very, very real. It was October of 2001. I'm in San Antonio, Texas, my home. And it's one of those San Antonio, South Texas fall days where it's a little overcast. It's, it's a little bit chilly, but it's really humid. You know? and it's one of those days you've got to have a jacket, but you can't. It's just so classic. And I'm sitting there. I'm in Brackenridge Park, beautiful park by the San Antonio River. I'm sitting on a park bench. I'm sitting up on top of the, of the picnic table, actually. I got a loaf of bread, and I'm feeding ducks. Feeding ducks bread. Not supposed to, but I'm a bit of a rebel at heart, so I'm there. 
And the reason I'm there is because I had lost my church. In First Baptist Laredo, about six weeks earlier, I had to give it up. And I had to give it up because I was an idiot. And I messed up. And you know, I'd always had success wherever I'd been since I was 19. So for 21 years, I had known nothing but success. And now I knew failure. It happened like that. And it was simple. It was just my arrogance. It was my pride. I had always struggled with My mother always warned me about it. She would look at me and she would call me by my last name. You know, when your mother calls you by your middle name, you're in trouble. When she calls you by your last name, she's worried. And she said, Burroughs, you have that pride that runs in your dad's side of the family. It's going to kill you. You know, pride was really the, the drug of my addiction. and That uh, arrogance was the, kind of the whiskey of my soul. You think I'm cocky now? Oh, man. I was so arrogant back then. You come up and say, hey, preacher, that was a good sermon. I'm like, yeah, it was, wasn't it? It was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, just that guy. And it got me in a bind that I couldn't get out of. And so the church was about to split. And I said, I'll just leave. And all my friends said, you can't just leave. You got to go somewhere. You'll never find any place. I said, man, are you kidding? I got all this baggage. I can't take that somewhere. And so I'm finding myself in a park bench. And I'm actually in a picnic table in San Antonio feeding ducks. And I'm throwing myself a pity party. Do you know who shows up when you throw yourself a pity party? Nobody comes to that party except ducks because <laughs> I'm feeding them. And you know what happens when I ran out of bread? They got angry. Man, they're quacking up all over the place, you know, getting upset that I'm getting angry at them. But the anchor wasn't them. The anchor's with me. And for the first time in my life, I doubted. I didn't doubt Jesus. I didn't doubt my salvation. I just doubted me. I doubted my calling. I doubted ministry. And I doubted that Jesus would ever use me again. And I went through this period of doubt for two and a half years. Oh, I preached in places. I did ministry. I did consultation work. But nothing, man. And I just doubted. And, and, and there, was no, there was no book to read. And there's no magic prayer in scriptures. Read this prayer and the doubts will go away. It's just this journey. And it's hard. And it's every day doubting. And every day questioning for two and a half years. And then it's June of 2004. I'm in that same park and I'm sitting in my car. And I got the window rolled down and I'm just sitting there. And I take a breath and all of a sudden like that, the doubt goes away. I got no idea what happened. It's just all left. And I knew that Jesus would use me again. And I knew I would pastor again. And I knew it would all come back. Now I look back at that time of that struggle and I realize, man, whatever I am today, it's because of that struggle. I wouldn't want to go through it again, but I sure appreciate it. Those doubts were a battle. But at the end of those doubts, I kept praying, I kept reading scripture, I kept trusting Jesus, even though I doubted everything, and I did it for two and a half years. And he got me through to the other side. When you doubt, I get you. I understand the doubts you go through. I understand the skepticism. I understand the struggle. Because I know what it's like to be there. 
And I wish I could tell you there's some quick, simple prayer. And I wish I could tell you at the invitation, you come up and pray with me or one of the staff members. And it'll go away when you walk out the door. And that won't happen. Because it's such a journey. But understand this. Your journey with Jesus may have periods of doubt. It really and truly will. And so Thomas, doubting Thomas, doubted Jesus, was alive. Next week, we're going to see that Jesus appeared to him. And when he appeared to him, (laughs) he said, Thomas, come put your finger here. Come touch the side. And Thomas just said, I got it. And he said, you're my Lord and you're my God. Scriptures don't tell us what happened to Thomas or really for most part any of the apostles. Church history tells us stuff. And sometimes there's some legends and embellishments, but there's some pretty reliable sources. And what we really do know is that Thomas in around 53 AD or so, about the time Paul was going through Europe, Thomas went the other direction to India. And he spent the next 19 years evangelizing India, maybe even went to China. And today you can go to India and you can see in different parts there are monuments, there are little places, the kind of you know, places that the shrines and all that, I guess maybe not the best term, but there are monuments and stuff that says Thomas started a church here. He went to evangelize India. And the man who said, I won't believe unless I can put my hand where the spear was in the sight of Jesus was himself in 72 AD martyred with the tip of a spear that went into his heart. But in the process, he helped change the world because he helped change India. Let me tell you something. Honest doubt can lead to great faith. It did for Thomas. It did for Martin Luther. It can for you. Have you seen the movie Jesus Revolution yet? If you hadn't, go see the movie. I told you, when you go, I get a cut from Alan Theater. <laughs> Tell him I sent you. I get free popcorn my next trip. And in the movie, Greg Laurie talks about the fact there, of the person playing him, that he was skeptical. He had a struggle with doubt. And today, Harvest Church, Harvest Movement, Harvest.com, all of that, it's Greg Laurie has touched tens and tens and tens of thousands of people. You see, doubt is okay. And people tell you you shouldn't doubt, you shouldn't struggle. They're wrong. You're going to struggle. Telling you you can't doubt doesn't get rid of your doubt. Telling you not to struggle doesn't remove the struggle. The struggle is where. And so if you'll take that journey, which you're going to take, and if you'll let people take it with you and help you and pray for you and work work with you through it, eventually you'll get to that. And that doubt will lead to great faith. And get this, great faith will lead to great commitment. Your faith can lead you to a place of unbelievable commitment in your life to serving the Lord. And when you look back upon your life, you're not going to want to change any of that because you knew the struggle was worth the price. Some of you today are going through that struggle. It's worth it. As hard as it is, It's worth it. I told you at the beginning of the message that there are times in your life when you doubt Jesus, even if you're his follower. Well, it certainly happens when you're not a follower of Christ. And I get that. 
And I can tell you, it's okay to have doubts, and it's okay to struggle and want evidence. But, you know, Josh McDowell was in that same position 60-something years ago. And then he read the Gospels, and he ended up believing and writing evidence that remains a verdict. 25, 30 years ago, Lee Strobel was doubting. He was a skeptic. And he read the Gospels, and he ended up writing the case for Christ. I mean, people doubt all the time. So just go read the Gospels. Read the story of Jesus. Let someone help you work through it. Go on the journey, even though you're skeptical. And here's the thing. You don't have to believe everything you always read. It doesn't have to all make sense. It's okay to have questions. You can still follow Jesus and have questions. You can still give your life to Jesus. And I know this sounds weird. You can still give your life to Jesus and have doubts. Just like Thomas. Some of you are followers of Christ. But you're doubting your salvation. And you're doubting your faith. And you're doubting whether God loves you. And you're doubting whether you are useful to God or not. Understand this. You don't have to take that journey alone. There are people who will take it with you. We'll take it with you at First Baptist. We'll go through that with you. Our staff will. We'll help you through that journey. And it may take a while, but you've got to face that journey and take it. And you've got to keep working through it. And keep praying and don't give up. I wish I could tell you it would end today. It won't. But you take that journey. And some of you, you've been in the place of doubt and you're past it. Why aren't you helping others with their struggle? You know people who are skeptical. You know people who have their doubts. When are you going to take that journey with them? You've gotten to the other side. They need you to take it with them. When are you going to do that? When are you going to let that honest doubt that led to great faith lead to great commitment of helping someone on that journey. In just a moment, we'll be standing here. We'll pray with you. Ladies, if you want to pray with another woman, there should be another woman up here who'll pray with you as well. If you want to give your life to Christ and believe, we want you to do that. If you want to, hey, say David or one of us, I'm struggling with doubts, we'll pray with you. If you want us to pray for someone else, if you want to join the church, whatever, we'll do all that with you. But you listen to me on this. It's very possible you're going to walk out of this place today still with doubts. But even though you doubt, you can still believe. And I invite you to take the journey to believe. So, Father, when you think about Thomas and all he went through, and man, he gets such a bum rap sometimes. But all of us have been like Thomas. I don't even know what it's like to be like Philip. I have no clue what it's like to be like Andrew or Nathaniel. But I know what it's like to be like Thomas. And that's a tough journey to take. But we can take it, Father. And we can trust you and you'll get us through it. So my prayer, Lord, is that we who maybe doubt sometimes will still believe. And we'll take that journey. And we who no longer doubt but believe will take the journey with them. So, Father, all of us can say you're my Lord and you're my God. Amen and amen. Would you stand and you come?